Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. All right. We are launched in our Lent. Aren't we, Carrie? Yes. Do you feel launched? Almost. 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 Too late. Uh, Valentine's Day, Lent, Ash Wednesday, made a little slow. Well, and we got inspired by our daughter, a 14-year-old, with her Lenten. But you want to call them the Lenten 10. Well, we'll have to figure that one out. <laughs> and then I've got a special guest that's going to be on tomorrow as well. I'll tell you who that is. You don't even know who it is, dear. But we'll tell you in just a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. All right, welcome back. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, thank you for the gift of Lent. I pray that this penitential season would give us the grace to strip us of our attachment to sin and form us to be more fruitful, radiant disciples of you, Jesus, fruitfully usable by you in this world. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you realize that prayer, Carrie, was uh, taking the essence of what Lent is all about and putting it into a short prayer? Did you catch all of that? Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Do you know why? I'm I'm pressure testing you now. All right, you know, Lent is about accompanying Jesus in the desert for 40 days, right? So it's a spiritual accompaniment, right? But it also is associated with the Exodus, correct? And the Exodus is what? Freeing you from slavery in Egypt, and then also prepping you to enter the promised land where you live your identity as God's children. And connecting it to Christ, it's all about Christ was driven into the desert by the Holy Spirit after his baptism. And then after the 40 days and his temptations, he then entered his public ministry. So those are the two dimensions of Lent. The two dimensions, why we do prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, why we do all of that stuff. To look great for the spring when we go on our spring break in that swimsuit. That's, let's call that a secondary motivation, all right? A tertiary motivation. The impure motivation. the, The lack of full, yeah. It's all about detaching us from sin and forming us more fully into fruitfully usable disciples where Jesus Christ can proclaim in this world. So it's that journey of the desert. We're leaving behind the places of slavery in our lives, and we are headed towards more fruitful, spiritually empowered proclamation in our world. That's pretty cool stuff. I love that. That is really great. And it's so needed. We are so needed today in this world. Absolutely. Well, we've got a lot to talk about today. We are going to talk about the Lenten 10, uh, as inspired by Annalise. Uh, So Lenten practices, what are you doing for Lent? I'm excited about that. I'm going to talk to you about one of the gifts of the Spirit that I think is probably the most neglected and 
and maybe as a result, one of the most needed to help us become free from sin and help us be prepared to radiate Christ in this world more fully. And so you might have to guess which of the seven gifts of the Spirit I'm talking about. So that would be pretty cool. Uh, You're looking at me like, oh, Lord. Gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit. Pillars of the Spirit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we'll talk about the fear of the Lord is what we're going to talk about. And we're going to lean on St. Thomas Aquinas and his insights into the fear of the Lord are so profound and they're going to be new. I'm going to guess you haven't heard it before unless you listen to me talk about this about 14 years ago uh, on Sound Insight. But uh, as it is, we are going to dig into that plus a number of other things that are happening in our own lives. Carrie, do you want to, what do you want to start with? You want to start with the uh, fear of the Lord. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, cool. So this has to do with my prayer at um, Ash Wednesday Mass. So here we are. I'm at Mass with Ash Wednesday, and I am begging the Lord for the grace of a fruitful Lent. And I'm like, Lord, I just I don't want this Lent to be a waste. I've got one chance to live Lent in 2024, and I just want it to bear fruit. And what came to my mind was something that I had recalled in prayer earlier in the week when I was praying about Lent. And what came to my mind was St. Thomas Aquinas on the fear of the Lord. He talks about four different meanings of the fear of the Lord. Um, when you think of fear of the Lord, do you remember what they talk about? This uh, uh, There's servile fear versus filial fear, right? So yes, servile- Being a servant because you have to versus out of love and faithfulness because you choose to- You're close. Oh, You're close. so close. <laughs> I, you heard servile, you think servant, okay, I have to. That was good. I like that. I like your association there. Servile oh, fear is you do things because you're afraid of the punishment. Oh, yes. Right? You remember it's all that? coming back to me. Yeah, it's the act of contrition, right? I'm sorry because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. That's that's a form of servile fear. It's, it's, it's imperfect pretty much, contrition. Pretty much where I stay okay. all the time. No, that's not true. <laughs> so then there is filial fear, okay. which is what? It's the fear of a child, filial. Uh, oh, filial. darn. I thought it was out of love. Out of love. Well, okay. is- I don't want to let my father down. Okay. I don't want to let God down. And so it's out of love. So that's those are the two types of fear that people think of most of all. Okay. And there's two more? There's two more. Oh, yes. my. So there's the, there's the fear that comes upon one who sins. When you sin, what grows in you is a terror, a dread of God. So it's the fear of the sinner. The fear. Is it a hardened heart? Uh, like you fear. God becomes a threat. Okay. God so becomes the enemy. Hidden shame. Think of the demons. Do you remember what well, some of the yeah. demons would, would say yeah. when they would come to Jesus, when he would show up at the synagogue, right? You know, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy no oh. to destroy right have you come to I'm zero for ten right now this can only get better have you come have you come here to destroy us right so that was that was the the holy god is it evokes fear if you are in sin uh and it's james chapter i think it's chapter one where he says that oh do you believe in god well congratulations the the, the demons do too and they shudder 
All right. They so tremble. that's the third. Fear. That's the third. Okay. And the fourth fear of God is actually a fear that will continue in heaven. Whoa, wait a minute. That's pretty striking. Because you're not going to be, you're not going to fear offending your father in heaven because there's no more sin. You're not going to, uh, you're not going to fear consequences because there are no more bad consequences in heaven. There's not the fear of the sinner doesn't exist in heaven. So what kind of fear of God would continue to exist in heaven? Hmm. Well, you're looking at. <laughs> I have no idea. You have no idea. Also, how would anyone know this since they hadn't been to heaven? They hadn't been to heaven and come back down. Okay. <laughs> Is this Aquinas? It's Aquinas. It's in the Zuma Theologica. And go to heaven and he, he got supernatural. He had a vision of God. He had that vision of okay. God, then he stopped writing. I guess. He said it's all I strong. guess we'll have to listen to him. You have to listen to Aquinas. Aquinas says that there is what he calls the fear of God that exists in one who is created, the creature, mm -hmm. in the presence of the creator. Hmm. You who are created from nothing and you are utterly dependent on god when you are in the presence of the one who is uncreated and infinite hmm. there is that that distinction will have a experience and experience associated with it which he labels the fear of god now why do you find this interesting important I find it so important when I was at mass okay. <laughs> on Ash Wednesday. Why? Well, I look around and I say, what is it that would evoke a sense of, I must change my life. I cannot live the life I have been living. And Lent is the opportunity to change it. I think if I got a diagnosis of cancer. Yeah. Okay. I so think like we really just something tragic, something, a calamity, right? I've said that to you. Yes. But a calamity that actually relates to, am I going to be around much longer? Like how much more time? Oh, if have? you realize like life is short. And... If we were going to have a divorce or versus if our, well, disease, it. Um, I think it'd have to be about life being short. Okay, so not some tragedy that's like finances or well, here's here's what I'm saying to you is that this gift of the spirit, the fear of the Lord, pray for that. Pray for a flowering of the fear of the Lord. And the other word is that other gift of the spirit, which is reverence, right? Reverence or fear of the Lord. When you revere God, the holy, majestic God who is the creator of all. And you realize how little you are before God. I've been on retreats and that fear of the Lord is a grace. And I've had an experience with others where it comes upon the whole group. And there's just this incredible awe, wonder, astonishment, I amazement. Right? Even, it's like it takes your breath away. It, you don't even want to talk about what is happening because it, it was so impactful or so mighty. And it really makes you, th then be becomes the, I love you, Lord, so much. I'm not fearful of sinning because I'll get in trouble. It's just because I hurt my creator, God. I, I don't know how to describe it, actually. But from that comes an incredible courage and strength 
to live a godly life and to proclaim his gospel to everyone and anyone. And I think sometimes that could give, you know, the radical Christian a bad rap, of course, because it can sometimes go sideways. But at the same time, the courage, the passion, the like everything sold out for the Lord has to inspire others because that's where people step back and go. So can I say, I agree with you. And that's really associated with that. Let's call it the highest form of fear of the Lord. That's the filial fear. I am so passionately in love with the Lord who has revealed his love for me. He's encompassing me as, as my father. And I just want to love him and I want to honor him. I don't think that's what I'm That's not what you're talking about? No, that's I'm what talking- it sounded like. Like you were overwhelmed with God's love and now you just got this fervor to just want to serve him and love him and worship him. I think obviously there's love involved, but I think it's beyond that. It's more of a all eternity. Okay. Um, I'm talking about, let's call it the, the foundation. Because I think that, here's what I'm saying. I think that we can hear talks we hear and we do hear how many talks God loves you. Just open yourself to God's love. You need to receive God's love and in the intimacy of your heart, let him love you. And there are ways in which that God can be very domesticated. It's a good word. I like how you said that. Did you like that? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. It's like a wild dog that you want to bring in and tame and make like you want to contain, control it, contain right. it. Yeah, domesticate. God, I do not want God to be contained. He's- yeah. Well, it's it, it it brings you. That's the that's that famous line from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? When they're talking about Aslan, the Lion, and uh, and and when the uh, Pevensey kids are with the beavers, right? And and they say Aslan's going to come. He's the Lion, and, and they say, "Is he tame? Is he tame?" And, and Mrs. Beaver says, "Tame." Tame. Who said anything about tame? Of course he's not tame, but he's good. And that's what we, that's what I, I, I'm saying, if we encounter that Christ, who's not tame, not domesticated, he's big. He is overwhelmingly majestic and awesome. He is God. And you touch divinity. Is this how you were reflecting during mass yeah. as you looked around i was looking around and it just it feels like I, the the way that i was reflecting on it was will this mass if you just brought in someone from the outside would this mass evoke faith evoke commitment evoke entrustment of one's life to god because this god is powerful and mighty and will save and rescue and free and give you a mission and a direction for your life and the answer was didn't feel that way. Uh, the kids went back to school after getting nauseous. And uh, it's, it was just cute. The several people that, hey, you have something on your forehead. Hey, what's that smudge on your forehead? Hey, do you need a washcloth? Why don't you go to the bathroom and wipe that off? You have something? <laughs> it was just funny. I know. I think if someone came to Mass today, they would, at, on Ash Wednesday, they would have uh, wondered what was on everyone's forehead. Did you talk to Liliana, our fifth grader, about what she said to her classmates or their teachers? No. Yeah, they said... Hey, why do you go to why do you go to Mass on Ash Wednesday and get ashes? And they said, Well, we do that because we want to follow Christ. And we uh we want to what's she saying? 
I don't can't even remember it. I was going to say, oh, it's a sign of penitence and repentance and remember your dust and the dust shall return. And she, and she just focused on Jesus. She said, well, it's because we're followers of Jesus and we have to pick up our cross and we have to be willing to suffer with him. And I'm like, who are you? Hmm. Like, great answer. Better than my answer. Better than my answer. You're going with Christ into the desert. And I'm like, wow, that's really good. Go, go for it. You mentioned it. So, um, you know, when you read the scripture that the spirit drove Jesus yeah. into the desert, that has some inclinings of the fear of God, that this mighty spirit drove him. And I don't, I'm sure there's a bunch of different theological uh, discussions on what this all means. And I will tell you about them in just a minute. Back in a second. Welcome back to the program. So Carrie, I, I, here's what I believe. I believe that one of the things that holds us back from evangelizing effectively, even at mass itself, in, in having mass be something that stirs and nurtures a living faith is a, a, a serious diminishment of the fear of God. That, that revering divinity holiness, the holy God. I, and, and, you know, we can point to the scriptures, it's the word of God, we can point to the Eucharist as the real living presence of Jesus, but one of the masses that had the biggest effect on my life was when I went to mass at that tiny convent with about 10 other participants, a tiny convent in Newport, Rhode Island, and it was a bunch of cloistered nuns, and the charism of that community was physical suffering. They all had some significant handicap. And these significant handicaps weren't just limiting their lives, but also were often associated with real suffering. Can I just stop you there? Yeah. So you would join this cloistered convent after you got your disability? Or were they in the, the convent and then boom, you get a special no, disability? No, 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 no. It was, it was that... <laughs> You get leprosy. No, you get multiple. They were like the you little answer. No, the, the the community was the little sisters of Jesus crucified, and so if you were to put yourself forward and say, "I feel the call to be a consecrated religious sister, to be a nun," with this suffering or with this, it's because the sign that the Lord has given me that I'm called to this community is the fact that I have these radical limitations, <laughs> that I have these sufferings in my life. And I now see them as part of what the Lord has for me here on earth. So what the world would look at and say, oh, what a sign of a terrible thing that's happened to you. It's only negative. It's only a sign of brokenness. They're able to say, you know, this is how the Lord is has made me and designed me to bring fruit, which is the salvation of the world by my suffering, by my bodily condition hmm. and the sufferings that I have. He's designed me like this. And I offer my whole life in this format, in this way of life that is hidden behind these walls of a monastery. Do you remember what some of the 
diseases or sufferings were? You want, yeah, Sister B was the sister that I, oh. she was the sister that wrote to me, was praying for me. And I said, I've got to go meet her. So I drove down to meet her. And when I went in, it's like, okay, this one woman has like a walker. Uh, this other woman has, is, has like two hand canes uh, that she has and one's in a wheelchair. And Sister B had a form of rheumatoid arthritis that was so bad that they had to literally take the bones out of her fingers because it was so painful. They had to fuse her back. And um, I, I had to carry her. I, I, I carried her uh, like from her like wheelchair uh, to another spot to, so we could talk. Was she light? Do you remember? She, yeah, she was. I mean, she must have been 50 pounds wow. at most. And here's the thing. Her voice when she spoke, like, you know, physical, her physical limitations were like radical. But her voice was just, it was like radiating. You talk about radiating God. Like she radiated God and how she spoke about the Lord. Do you know what's happened to her? Oh, she's in heaven. I oh, she died. I call upon her for prayers. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but she and I've got all kinds of sister B stories. Here's one of them. Are we even married? How do I even not know? I. I she went on a retreat. The good thing about you and I, I can't remember half the stuff you tell me. Like so, everything's good. It's all fresh it's and new. I love a it. Year later. Yes. So she. She went on a retreat and the, and as part of the retreat, God's given a retreat to these nuns. I mean, God bless you if you're the retreat master trying to say stuff to them. God loves you. God, God loves you. you. Yes. So he one of her things you. was she said, pray and have the Lord give you a, a word that identifies you. Who are you in one Oh, I remember word. this. Do you remember it? Yes. Do you remember what the word was? Yes. What is it? I am known. Known. Yes, that was powerful. That oh, is powerful. My goodness. And because that's it's a word of union. Mm-hmm. That's a word of intimate union. I am known by God. So okay. You have, you have mass there, and this is where you I went to mass with these sisters. All right. So I went to mass with these sisters. And so can you imagine? Here's the priest, and then here are these like 10 nuns and me. And that, the atmosphere in that chapel, the atmosphere in that chapel was not just, oh, oh sorry. It wasn't just like quiet. <laughs> joined us, you guys. Sorry. <laughs> we tried to lock her out I upstairs know. and she came busting in and she's yeah, excited. That's fine. She's, oh, that's okay, like the so Lord busting. You trust she's she's in. We, we want the Lord to be a yellow, a yellow oh, lab, a happy tail wagging. be crazy. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so it was, it wasn't just that it was, oh, wow. It was quiet and, you know, it was silent and all that. No, it was palpable. Really? The presence of God was palpable. Did you not want to leave? I, I, I felt it was, it was a, just frankly, a little bit overwhelming. It's just sort of overwhelming, like the reality of God. This is how real God is. And it's not just real, like in a concept, it was real as an overwhelming presence that this is the tremendous God, the mysterium tremendum, right? And that tremendous God was, was there at mass. Now, if... Now, do you... 
think ever it would be interesting if someone a non-believer showed up there yeah. would they be able to experience that or is it just probably you were disposed to it uh, so i would say this that on the one hand they they you know you could say that they're like they're they the light the light switch is off right they don't have the light of faith and so if they don't have the light of faith would they have sensed God's presence? No, not in the same way. On the other hand, we're all made by God and for God. So there is that ache in the heart. And you can be around someone like Mother Teresa, or if you're in a holy place with that holy atmosphere, there's something that could be evoked in them to say there's something different about this space. Well, and usually when you hear conversion stories and people entering a Catholic church or the mass for the first time, or they're at a liturgy and something happens in an encounter with the Lord, they're usually seeking him. Yeah. They're he he has awakened in them a deeper yearning for more. And they usually Gerard Manny Manly Hop, uh Manly Hopkins says what? The hound of heaven. There we go. We got our hound here in the okay. in the room. <laughs> the hound of heaven is chasing you through the the you know the hills and the valleys. He's chasing, he's knocking on the door of their hearts. He wants in. And there's different ways that God's presence can come in. And if you if you step away from noise and step away from situations where all that brokenness happens, then all of a sudden there can be that much richer sense of the living God is, is here. So I, what I want, like if you say, what's going to bring renewal in the Catholic Church in our day? It's the fear of the Lord. It, it's that fundamental, that foundational fear of God that says, I'm a creature. But how does that happen? It's a gift to the spirit. Okay. So it's a move of the Lord. It's a move of the Lord. Yeah. But it's different than signs and wonders, which is the, uh, really awesome, which is another complimentary thing for sure. Right. And so we can talk all about it. We've talked a lot about that. Our saint, the holy person, holy person. Right. So that we just get like a whole plethora of a bunch of options. It's all the above, right? It's all the above. All of the above. Well, and what I would say is Christ's presence, Christ's presence is fourfold at mass. So it's the priest. So we want the saint. It's the community. And that's what I'm talking about. Okay. It's the it's the assembly that's gathered that Christ is present. And I just want to say with those religious sisters, the way that they were in such profound union with Christ coming together for mass, it was a holy atmosphere that just was a perfume in the air that was powerful and it blew me away. It also can be the scriptures and the Eucharist. We talk about that. So the okay. scriptures, the power of God's word to cut through, right? So this Lent, I'm I'm like, you can do all of the 10 Lenten things you want, but one of the things that that might strip away are the blockages and the walls that we have that are holding back an encounter with the majesty of our creator and, and be willing to, to like step back a bit, just step back a bit. Don't leave it behind, but step back a bit and say, I'm not going to only focus on God as my loving father. And I want to receive his merciful touch. And instead say, wait a minute. I was created by God out of nothing. He is my creator and I owe him everything. And that means that, whether I eat or drink or 
anything else, I will do all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Uh, Christ came to bring everything into subjection, all of creation into subjection, so that all become subject to him, and then he becomes subject to the Father, so that God will be all in all. So that means God wants to be in every part of our life as God. Now that is a Lenten goal. Let God be all in all. In my finances, in my relationship with you, in how I use the time that remains in my life, let God be God. Amen. Amen. I love it, Tom. <laughs> so I'm gonna I have to go rewrite my Lenten 10. <laughs> Lenten 10. That's what I was praying about at Mass on Ash Wednesday. I was looking around and I just felt this deep sadness that like I'm looking around saying, do, do any of us here know who God is? The God that we are worshiping, the God that that can manifest himself at mass. And if he only did, then we would flee the building and say, come back here. You've got to come and see what, what happens when God shows up. It, 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 it blows the lid off of the whole of the world in which we're living. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. So, Carrie, that's fear of the Lord, right? It's I don't want to just let him down. I'm not afraid of the con. Uh, I'm afraid of the consequences. I, I got the dread of being a sinner. No, it's I'm a creature, and God's my creator. I think that, brothers and sisters, and maybe that if that struck you, pray about that. Pray about Lord. Can this Lent be about a, a more profound revelation of your majestic? divinity. Reveal to me that you are God and I am not. Do you know who received that? No. Uh, this is, no. this is, I'm getting, I'm getting chills. <laughs> I'm getting chills. Let me tell you why. Uh, yesterday, my kids were saying uh, on uh, Ash Wednesday, because we've given up like TV and all these other stuff. Well, it just sounds so silly. I'm going to give up sugar. I'm going to give up candy. I'm going to give up potato chips. And then you're talking about this be all in for God and this mighty creator wants to come and, and it just feels like there's a huge, huge gap. gap. It's like, whoops. <laughs> all right, no, hold on, hold on. So uh, we were talking about, Annalise was trying to find a saint movie to watch on Ash Wednesday. And, uh, you know, there, there aren't that many choices. And Liliana said, Dad, who's your favorite saint? Who's your favorite saint? And I said, well, we have to take the Blessed Mother out. Okay, so apart from the Blessed Mother, who's my favorite saint? And I said, hmm, let me think. I said, like flipping through my my daily intercessor chart, like, okay, who am I asking for prayers? And I'm like, St. Catherine of Siena. St. Catherine of Siena. And when you remember now, she had these, these mystical dialogues with Jesus. She'd go into ecstasy and she'd start having this conversation with Jesus. And one of the things that... Uh, uh, Jesus said to her, is, is remember, uh, you are she, uh, I am he who is, and you are she who is not. Ouch. Now remember, this is the mystical relationship, husband, bride, she's this bride in, in Christ, the bridegroom and the invisible stigmata and all this mystical union she had. But what did Jesus say? I am he who is, you are she 
who is not. You came from nothing. And yet I, I've elevated you to the status of this intimacy that I, I've, I've uh, willed for you. But included in that, incorporated in that, is the reality that I'm God, the eternal God, and you were created from nothing. That we, I think we've left that behind. I think we've left that out. And there, there's been some real losses as a result. So anyways, well, okay, we have about 15, 20 seconds left in this section. We're going to go from the sublime and the mysterious to the more pragmatic, the practical. I, I, I want to dig into Annalise's Lenten 10 and talk about some of the things that we'll be doing to hopefully uh, do our part as part of the journey that Christ has for us in the desert. Amen. Back in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out. DrTomCurran.com, DrTomCurran.com. Welcome back to the program. So, Carrie, here we are. We talked about the Mysterium Tremendum, the tremendous mystery who is God, our creator, and somehow tying that down to giving up chocolate Somehow the, the sublime is connected to the mundane, the day-to-day. -day. Isn't that the mystery of, isn't that amazing? Like that even the little things that we do, everything that we do can be drawn into the biggest mystery of all. The fact that we've been created by God and destined to live forever with him as his children. It, it's, it's amazing to think of that. Yes. We that's, don't all have, that's all I got. That's all I got. You're just stunned into no, silence. By that. So stunned. Well, that's me trying to elevate up and out of the like the standard. Like we have a lot of standard conversations. Like, hey, what are you giving up for Lent? And so we think about things that we're no longer doing and things that we're starting to take on, right? And so those are the the three primary disciplines of Lent have to do with prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And those have to do with three fundamental relationships, right? Prayer is about extending ourselves in our relationship with God. Fasting is about denying ourselves in relationship to ourselves. And almsgiving is about extending ourselves in relationship to others. Those are very helpful categories for folks for you to be thinking about in terms of the Lent 10, the Lenten things that you'll be taking on. I, I was, I, I don't even, did this show up in the um, in the group text or like our group uh, chat? Yes. Is that what it was? Yeah, they're all sharing what they're doing for Lent. And then when I saw Annalisa's, our 14-year-old, freshman at, at Chesterton, I was really impressed. She's at that age where it's all new and exciting and fun. No, no, no. She's just wondrous. And, oh, yes, this is going to be. Uh, yeah, actually, she has great discipline. I just remember over the in the last couple of years where she would restrain herself. And she say, oh, I can't eat that. I gave that up for Lent. Or, oh, I can't eat anything because I have given up eating between meals. And, and 
really, I, I was a bit, in, you know, taken aback in a very positive way that she had that level of commitment to say, I'm going to, I'm going to follow through on what I committed. What are you doing for Lent? So with all of my wonderful attempts, it feels like we're late. We're like supposed to study for a test. The test happened and we missed the test or we didn't quite get everything ready for the test or we're, we're working on the makeup test. <laughs> now it's not that we didn't fast um, yesterday, but there is a way in which I want to go into the season, having spent quality time with the Lord, having a clear idea of what God is calling me into. Yeah. If, if I want to, if I want to throw down on the field, one little flag that said, Oh, I have a, I have an excuse. I, I don't, you're nope. not giving me any excuse. None. Not zero. zero. None, none excuse. <laughs> I've been sick. I've been sick since Sunday and I've been dragging along here. So I, and in the, in the energy time when I had energy, I haven't used it for, Oh, let me focus on what I'm giving up for Lent. I've been using it for just getting through the stuff that is in front of me in well, terms we, of my work. We did talk about doing um Wednesday and Friday, the fasting that they did prior to Vatican II, more of a full day fast and just one small meal at the end of the day. And then going, I guess that wouldn't be, it would be a 24 hour fast because you'd start the night before and then you'd eat that dinner and then be done. And then you could eat on Thursday and then start again on Friday. Yeah. I, I haven't told you, but what I intend to I get fast a, a lot more than that. <laughs> I get a sense you're downing this. Oh no, just Good. the opposite. Awesome. I, I'm, I feel, and, and this was, this goes back to my Ash Wednesday mass, right? That what is God going to show up differently if I'm not trying to show up differently? I, I, I just have this awakened level of conviction and insight that fasting clears away so many obstacles and opens up so many horizons, vistas, open doors to encounter the living God in a more majestic way that I find myself begging God for the grace to do penance. Okay. How about do this? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You just fast those three days. Just fast Wednesday, water, Thursday, Friday? Water okay. fast. And then Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you can do your other limit time on the phone or no sweet sugar, no chips, junk food, whatever. Yeah. Eat between meals. I, I, uh, so what I'm intending. <laughs> What's your Lenten 10? Yeah, I don't think I, ha I have 10, <laughs> right? So I would say, like, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to get up at such and such a time and I'm going to pray extra. Though that feels like a very natural thing to do, I feel more about the restraining myself from like when I was fasting, I found myself restraining myself from using social media. Do you think we should do something together? Let's see. Like we both wake up at this time. We both pray this at noon. We're home pretty much every day, all day for the most part. I mean, you're doing your work here and there, but. Like we could do something at noon or something at when the kids aren't here. You know, that's a good question. I, I, I know you made a serious attempt to do daily mass. Right. And that are some, I, mean, I know we tried the stations every Friday or some people will do weekly confession or 
adoration, you know, two times during some just additional prayer. So I'll tell you what, I'm not going to just say something out loud right now. In fact, I think I would rather say that the Lord knows I have been seeking him in this in the last four days. It has been hard to do anything. Okay. And it, uh, believe it or not, I've been asking for intercession from a saint that I almost never ask for intercession from. That's St. Alphonsus de Liguori, the founder of the Redemptress. Do you have, you have no idea? Oh, why. yes. I know him. He's one of my favorites. Well, the, the reason why is that he he's we one of the most prolific authors in the history of the Catholic Church. You're going to write a book? No. Awesome. And he founded a religious order and was helping to, you know, help the church navigate a difficult time in her history. And the thing that people don't maybe realize about him was just how sickly he was. He had these terrible headaches, like migraine headaches, hmm. and that would leave him bedridden. That That's how bad they were. Wow. Is this before and, uh, headache medicine? No, uh, no Advil, no yeah, aspirin, no, yeah, none no. Of that, you know. ibuprofen. I, and I've been, I, here's the crazy thing. I was thinking about that as I've been battling this flu and just dealing with these terrible symptoms. I was thinking about St. Alphonsus de Liguori and just saying, how did you do it? How did you push through all of this physical infirmity and suffering and do all that and you did? Do all, he had, he had. You can't always just, ah. you can't just say, oh, he had the grace of God. It was God's grace. God gave him all this grace. He had an EA. I'm almost sure he had an EA. An executive <laughs> assistant? Yeah, he had like three. <laughs> now, that was Aquinas. He had no. three scribes. That's how, how he got his the Summa written. Yeah. He had scribes writing for him. So, um, Well, I think this is a good, we're, we're heading out of town. I think it'd be a great time to talk about it, pray about it, and Get it dialed in. We only have 40 days. So. Yeah. Well, this is, it's kind of a humble admission. It's, it's a humble admission to say, here we are, day two of Lent, and I don't have a clear picture of what the Lord has for me this Lent. This I'm willing to do a lot, but I, I need to get greater clarity from the Lord about what he wants from me. And, and you know, that's the mystery of, of freedom. Is God's freedom and our freedom? It's too much. There's too many opportunities, too many options, too many things. No, to no, deny. no, no. That's not what I'm saying here. What Darn. I'm saying is that God gives, there's a way in which God gives space for you to say, how much do you want? How much do you want this? I'm going to give you the space to, to, to go in more generously, vigorously, play that bigger game. If you want it, go for it. I just, and I'll give you the grace. Honestly, I feel like, the freedom I have is too much freedom. Too much it's, space? Yes. I felt like my life was very clear and getting through day by day by day when I had all the little kids at home and I was home just really trying to survive. Um, I had a very little freedom and I knew what I was about. It was right in front of me. And now that the kids are leaving and gone, there's this sense of I have a lot of time to choose how I spend it. There's just a lot of space. And I feel 
sometimes guilty or I'm not doing the right thing or is this the right thing? And Lord, what would you have me do and how? And then all that, all the motivation and not super disciplined, but all that self-will determination is so much more natural when I am put upon by, I have to go work every day. So I have to get up and be at the the office of your state in life. Uh, Yeah. Especially if you have it. Well, I'm a homemaker and that's a state in life, but when you have, when I actually have a job where people are counting on me, I am up and at that school or at that right. place, very dutiful and work really hard. I don't have that same sense of work really hard, being here all day, just being here all day because there's no one really relying on me with, I don't know, you can, you can scale motherhood from one to 10. How good do you want to have? How good is your day? <laughs> I can go from a one to a 10. So I don't know. There's just a lot more freedom that I find cumbersome. So I, this is a great uh, conversation point. I, I want to talk about this. Uh, we're up against a break. When we come back, let's continue this conversation, Carrie. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. So Carrie, just before the break, you were saying that you have this uh, greater sense of disposable time, right? The, this t- discretionary time, this time that is available for you. And... We've talked about this new age and stage in our lives where we have now the majority of our kids out of our house, only three kids at home. And that means there's something different. It, it, and we, we are literally moving into a new minute, like a new minute today, because we're just a day and a half past the end of season basketball banquet. Thank you, Thank Jesus. <laughs> but Thank you, Jesus. I know. Well, it, and it was a wonderful year and all the wonderful things basketball. that we celebrate about it, but it was a halftime job for me, you know, and uh, as beautiful as that was, all of a sudden now I've gained back 20 hours a week or more in, in my in my life. And and one of the things that we've decided to do, we're, we're actually meeting next week with a Catholic coach. Uh, we set up a, a session where together you and I are we're going to use some time in the next several days to ponder and think about, well, where are we supposed to be spending our time together right now? In mission. In mission, in missionary purposes. Yes. Right? So that means you could be helping me in my real estate work. So that means you could No, be... no, no, that's not mission. That's just, I'm just That saying. is definitely <laughs> mission. Uh, so you could be helping me in that, or you could be helping, uh, and we've talked about, oh, let's reinvigorate during Lent our uh little Bible study group. We know for married couples and get the families together. And uh, then, you know, so those are a couple of big things. And and then just other things that we're doing to try to kind of simplify and focus our life. I think that's a really important thing to do. I think for me is I have so many different ideas and I get easily excited or curious about many things and they kind of come in and out of focus. And so it really is where do I where do I feel called to spend my energy and time? And I mean there's areas where I just can hang out and enjoy my time, but what's really gonna be fruitful for the family and for building our future and for me growing. So I don't know. And then there's other days where I thought I think to myself, how did I think I had all this time? I'm still, I, I barely got through three things on my list and there's like 20 things. And so I live in this like ping between the two or 
go back and forth between. I have so much time to, I'm not getting anything done. And there's still this huge pile of things I need to do. And I've only gotten through three. Th- so it's interesting. There's a, there's a lot like Occam's razor says, you know, the, the simplest, the most likely answer is the right answer. Right. Uh, but there's another one that is you'll fill the time you're given. And I, I think that sometimes that's the case. So I'm, I'm very excited, but also interested to see how I'm going to fill this time that I've been given. That you've been given back. I've been given back huh. from basketball. And so I, I think it's coinciding, coinciding very nicely with, okay, our kids are back at school now, back at college for several months. Do you think, I just feel that there is outward pressure through social media that you're not doing enough, that you're not living a big enough life, that you are not performing well enough, that because it's so easy to look and see what everyone's doing, so to speak, into great, like great achievement. And you can just see the level at which people are performing. And now I know that's just people on social media. So most people aren't. But when I look at the lives of many, and I know comparison gets us in trouble. Um, I think I'm just not doing that much. Now you'll always say, okay, they're just doing that one thing and they're just doing that one thing and this person's doing it. And so it's easy to think everyone's doing so much when they really are focused on their one call or their one way of, I don't know, showing up in the world. But I'm telling you, there is just such an outer pressure for me or inner sense of, is this all I'm doing? Am I supposed to be doing more? Why am I not doing more? And that's one, you know, I live in that realm in my head. And then when I, like I said, when I actually go to live out life and fill the time, I'm like, I couldn't possibly do a lot more. Why would I think that I could take on, you know, five other big projects? So I would like to ponder that more because it it leaves one feeling disturbed and unsettled and discontent. Like I have to do more. So I don't think that. <laughs> well, you do a lot. <laughs> Maybe that's because you actually are doing a lot. Are you? I, I, well, okay. Possible. And I think the end for me is that I think I've died quite a bit to the comparator spirit where I would be jealous about, look at this Catholic who is more popular than I am okay. or Can I more just famous. Say, you will actually say to me, I think we should do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are you kidding? Do you know how much time that takes? <laughs> do you know how much work that is? Do you know, you right. just, you will, you will just say, okay, we should do a video or we should um, go create this. I don't even know. And I'm thinking that is so cumbersome and work intensive. I don't know where he thinks I'm going to get all the time, energy, talent, just all that's involved. And I love that you are so positive and like think visionary, but sometimes it's like, oh, now that's not happening. Well, and that's the, <laughs> like, let's call it the shadow side of being a visionary is that the future state that is envisioned feels like it's very easily and quickly able to be accomplished. That's the nature of a visionary is that you can clearly picture that future state the future thing that that must be well that might, that allows you to have great vision because and then my the energy and the drive to get there <laughs> i would just before i even get 
very far in the vision think that is a lot of that takes a lot. I just don't know if that's possible. That is not a downer. It's just a realist. Okay, so that's let's call it. We are complementary, right? So that's where I I live more out in the world of vision. You live more in the world of the current reality, and that I think is one of the the, the gifts that we bring to each other. And it's also one of the sources of tension. And I think it's a place of challenge that we've had in our married life as well. Yeah. So uh, it's. I think that that I have, I I came to a recent insight when uh, I was reflecting on the idea that married life is the place of your sanctification. It's the place where God, the Lord is going to purify you and bring you to a holier place. And that means the cross. And I think I have too quickly identified a cross with like some kind of physical suffering or uh, big tragedy. And I've realized more recently that the, uh, the, the tension of our complementary personalities. I love how you frame that. Is, is, is a place of suffering for me. And I, I maybe have too quickly identified that as a bad thing. And instead of saying, oh, this is the concrete way that the Lord is asking me to love you sacrificially, and this dimension or dynamic in our relationship is a cross that is bringing me to holiness if I let it. And so uh, I spoke in wonderfully spiritual terms there. Yeah. It's like, hey, do we have to? I don't think you need to get any more real. (laughs) You feeling me? Um, no, but go ahead. If you want to say it more practically. Oh, uh, it was just that it's that if I live in more of a visionary place and you live more in the place of the, you're going to filter that, you know, I called it the critic, the question, you call it the questioner. I call it the critic that I can feel a wound of critique that like a critique, a questioning can come across like a wound because I feel like, Oh, are you, you're really not with me out at that vision. And you, I think, can feel like, well, why are you leaving what's real? We have to stay grounded in the real here if we can't just go flying off there, right? So however we want to put it, that 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 dynamic has been both a great gift to our marriage because it's helped us to move forward, but it's also been a uh, a cause of real, hopefully purifying conflict, purifying uh, dynamism. So. And isn't there a couple more personality types in that? Oh, when you say the vision- I thought there was like four main ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the catalyst, the organizer, the operator, right? So that's those are the three types of kind of focused leadership. Oh. But then when you um, talk about, yeah, there's the there's the visionary, there's the strategist, there's the planner, and then there's the one who likes to work, mm. the actor. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it so a lot of that can just be you know where do you find yourself like living like in terms of that that approach to things and, and I'm, I'm up at the visionary strategist place so it's not the best but place but it's just the place it's just so, it's they're not one's not better than the other yep. is that kind of okay yeah carrie we're out of time thanks for walking with me today uh, and join me tomorrow folks for more of the program god bless